0: Welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming my former colleague from the World Bank, Kesten Hund. Kesten is an accomplished professional on sustainable mineral supply chain development, energy and climate change. Kesten has over 15 years of global policy and project development experience in Sub-Sahara, the United States, the Caucasus and Europe. She has also worked for the World Wildlife Fund and, as I said, the World Bank, and is now at the BS Group. Kirsten, it's lovely to speak with you, and thank you very much for your indulgence.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: That's lovely. So I thought we would pick your brain and just ask you to explain to us, what do we know about mining's carbon footprint in general? That that is
1: that is a really big question, right? And I think it's there's so many aspects, and I'm sure we'll we'll touch upon that. I mean, when we talk about the mining carbon footprint, we have to think about mining and climate change. And for me, there's really three key issues there. It's, it's the physical climate change impacts. The mining mining industry is seeing the real impacts of climate change already, like increased da- droughts, increased heats, etc., and how that impacts the mining industry. It's, it's the whole issue that is now big in the news on how decarbonisation and the shift towards renewable energies shifts demand for key minerals. And then there is the question on how mines can actually decarbonize their own operations, which which is a very big question, which is what keeps me awake at night, uh, as, as, it is my, as, as it is my day job. It's like, how do we make sure that mining, which has a big carbon footprint, actually reduces that carbon footprint. So there's really quite a few different components to that.
0: That is interesting because what I'm hearing is that most people think of the impact that mining has. What you're saying is actually, as the climate changes and uh, weather patterns change, mining too is impacted. Is that correct, Kirsten? Absolutely. Extraordinary. So you speak also about how to decarbonize. Uh, I'm going to come back to that question later, but for now, I wanted you to please explain to us. So, of course, we know uh, that mining has its own carbon footprint. What accounts for, what are the elements of mining that uh, contribute to its carbon footprint?
1: The biggest, and and I'm I'm going to speak really about about minerals and metals mining and, and leave coal mining aside because that has a whole different carbon footprint related to fugitive methane emissions, et cetera. So I'm going to leave that part on the side because that is, that is a big topic as such. But when we talk about minerals and metals mining, the biggest emissions really come from energy use. Um, it's a very energy intensive industry. Um, and, and that is really where its emissions come from. It's from the electricity that's being used to mine the operations and the diesel that's being used in the equipment. Um, when we start talking about the production, like the processing of, of, of in particular steel and aluminium, that adds a whole big chunk of emissions itself as well. And when we talk about percentages, like the, the mining of, of, of minerals and metals causes about, well, there's all kind of different numbers, between one and 2% of global emissions. But when you start, Talking about the production of aluminum and and the processing and steel making etc um, and we add up steel aluminum copper nickel cobalt, then we are talking about well, anything between thirteen and fifteen percent of global co2 emissions and those emissions are really caused by the use of electricity and fossil fuels or uh, well, to get the minerals out of the out of the ground and then process them and make something usable out of them
0: hmm. So, of course, you and I in the mining industries, so we, we sort of understand that sequential process because the average person sees mining as the actual extraction process, which is correct. What you're saying is uh, if we look at mining as a process of extracting ore, the biggest contributor to carbon footprint is the energy for the processes the meteorological processes, but also the energy for the equipment and the trucks that are used to operate the mine. I- is that what we call the stage one uh, emissions?
1: Um, we talk about, when we talk about emissions, and it's, it's, I think it's it's not making it any easier for, it, for the public, right? Because it, we're talking about scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, and whereby scope one emissions is really the, de- the fuel that is the, is, the, is the direct sim in a simplified form of the fuel that's being used for equipment scope two are the emissions that come from the electricity that's being used in an operation. And then scope three are the indirect supply chain emissions. Um, so really the emissions that come from either upstream, like the materials that are being used in the mind, the emissions that have been caused by production of equipment, but also the downstream, like the emissions that come from the use of the mining materials. So those are the, really the three scopes, whereby most of the attention at the moment from from mining industry, when it's about reducing the carbon footprint is really focused on those first two, because those are under our direct control. Um, but more and more people also start really looking at their scope three emissions, which are part of the supply chain, and which can only be solved by working in partnership uh, with others in that value chain to really look at, okay, what can we do with other stakeholders in that value chain to, to reduce emissions?
0: So, when you speak about the 1% uh, contribution versus the 20 to 30% contribution, uh, can you just, for the listener's sake, indicate where in that uh, scope 1 versus scope 2 versus scope 3 emissions uh, these percentages fall?
1: The, the sort of the one, the one to one and one, one to two percent is really it's scope one and two. It's the mining and mineral processing of metals and minerals. Again, I'm excluding fossil fuels, I'm excluding coal, but that is really the direct emissions that are caused by the mining operations itself.
0: And, and so the latter ones, as you rightly said, it's more the industry when we are now transforming these uh, mineral substances into metallic substances for use, in different forms of uh, fabrication, and there, uh, mining is naturally an interested party. But it, but in effect, it, it's the mining industry, strictly speaking, is not the emitter. Mining is uh, part of that process because of the value chain, but not because of the processes of day-to-day mining operations. Would that be correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah, yeah. Those those higher emissions are really caused by the smelting and refining uh, of in particular, uh, bauxite for to make aluminum and, and, and iron ore to make steel.
0: So, of course, if, if you then say to uh, the average person, mining, uh, you know, uh, scope one and two accounts for, say, uh, one to two percent, it begs the question, uh, who accounts for the rest in terms of industry? So could, could you give us a sense of how in terms of those uh, scopes uh, one and two uh, emissions, how mining compares with other industries, for instance, who are the big emitters here? And, and here I'd like you to, as you've already done, leave out the fossil fuels. I want to leave out coal and uh, oil and gas. Let's look, for instance, at agriculture. How does that compare? Do we have any inkling of how mining compares?
1: compared to agriculture, mining is a small, is a, is a very small emitter. Agriculture, and I should say in, in a much broader sense, what they say, agriculture and, and forestry and other kinds of land use, uh, including deforestation, are responsible for about 20% of global annual greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so that is a very, very large sector. Um, aviation. And again, there's always so much debate about uh, about, but it's, it's between two and three percent. Um, so compared to those sectors, and compared to the importance of the mining sector for for the global GDP, it is a relatively small emitter, right? But that doesn't mean that the mining sector isn't doesn't play a very big role in in countries and in specific sectors, and has a responsibility, obviously, to decarbonize as does everybody else. Yeah, it's interesting. I agree.
0: It's good to put it in perspective. Yeah, I I see your point because of course, uh, what you're saying is that, sure, uh, you know the emissions may be comparatively small, uh, but that's not an excuse. But you're also saying one has to look at also uh, the problem from uh, perhaps a regional perspective, a country perspective, because in that mix, uh, some countries because of mining's footprint. May uh, actually have that as a bigger problem than uh, would be the case in other regions. So it's, it's not an excuse to rest on our laurels. But, and so that gives me, uh, brings me back to your earlier point that one of the key issues uh, about mining's carbon footprint is the question of how to decarbonize. So help us answer that question. What is the current thinking in terms of how mining can uh, decarbonize and reduce its own carbon footprint?
1: There is, it's a, there's a few, and, and I'll speak mostly from from our on, on what we are doing at at De Beers, which which is a is a diamond uh, operation, obviously. But I think the strategy is is pretty much applicable to other mining operations because a lot of it is about, well it's about our energy footprint so our strategy is what we say reduce replace remove whereby reduce is really about efficiency and that is what every single mining company has to do and is already doing it's like how can we well a make our current operations more efficient and use less energy and with energy i mean both electricity and fuel in doing what we already do by innovating changing the way we operate and and by just Sometimes it's really basic measures, I mean, turning the lights off (laughs) at a larger scale uh, when you're not operating to really make sure that we save energy and are as efficient as possible. It also means designing any new mines in such a way that they are carbon neutral or net zero from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Replace is really about replacing fossil electricity. Um, In our case, where we are operating all our mines in southern Africa get their power from the grid and the grid is coal-based. So what can we do to get rid of those emissions? That means we need to build renewable energy in and around our mines. Um, We are lucky in southern Africa that there's really good renewable energy resources, there's good solar and wind. Um, And fairly recently, governments have changed their regulatory framework to also make it much more much easier and more possible for mining companies to build their own renewable energy, um, which I think is, is really important for the mine itself, but also it can be a real catalyzer for green growth in the region, which is also why I think that is the right step forward. And the other part of our is replacing fossil fuels, um, largely through electrification. There's a lot of work going on in, in the mining sector, looking at, OK, how can we electrify a large part of our vehicles? Um, especially in, in underground operations, how can we electrify as much of the equipment as possible and make sure that, that it then runs on green, green electricity? And then what alternatives can we find uh, for diesel where we cannot electrify? Um, and work has been gone is, is going on on hydrogen, but also on other kinds of alternative fuels. And I think the last piece is like, okay, where we cannot completely get rid of our emissions, what can we do to offset those emissions Uh, but there again i think we have to be really really careful because offsets can be carbon offsets can be a very tricky business and i think for none of us it is meant as as greenwashing it's really looking at okay what can we do what kind of investments can we make in nature uh ideally in the countries or the regions where we operate to invest in nature and in projects that then will help us sequester carbon from the atmosphere and remove carbon from the atmosphere but there's a lot to unpack behind that but that replace re- reduce replace or remove is really sort of the three strategies that i think most companies are focusing on when trying to reduce their carbon emissions
0: hmm. yeah you're right there's a lot to unpack i'm going to follow up on a couple uh the efficiency is, is fairly straightforward and, and in a way it's it's helpful to the business because any businesses run efficiently is helpful for all the shareholders and the interested uh, parties and, and the the innovation and replace. The two I wanted to talk to you about is the catalyze because uh, you are uh, in Botswana now visiting uh, Depswana which is uh, a, a partnership between your employer DBS, BS and the government of Botswana. Uh, and, uh, you know, mining is, is big in Botswana's economy and, and everything else. And so to the extent that Debswana, uh charts the path and, and leads the way in, as you said, replacing uh, the use of fossil fuels, this could transform the entire uh, footprint of the country because those mines are the biggest consumers of energy. And so if uh, by simply migrating from fossil fuels, Botswana's footprint could change completely. Uh, Is is that uh, some of uh, the BS's motivation, which is to catalyze the whole decarbonization of countries in which it has partnerships?
1: Absolutely. And we, we are working, in, and it's indeed one of the reasons why I'm here, we are working very hard with our Depswana colleagues who are investigating uh, the different opportunities to to develop solar energy uh, and potentially wind as well to, to power the the, the Dapswana mines. And yeah, I, I do think it can really be a catalyzer. We have we are working very with very closely with Anglo American in uh, South Africa at the moment and in Namibia as well, to develop renewable energy in partnership with them. And there, we're really also looking at, okay, what can we do to, to build local skills, uh, to build local industries, and how can we really contribute with those projects to be a catalyzer for, for growth and for sustainable growth in those countries. And I, there's, I think there's a keen interest um in Dapswana who, who have committed uh, together with, with the rest of the beers to be carbon neutral by 2030 to really look at okay what can be done and how can Botswana's significant natural resources in terms of solar and wind really be used uh, to power the
0: mines but also to sustain the communities i, I have to say that uh, listening to you i hear a couple of things one is the value proposition that de beers and Botswana has to its partners here in 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 Botswana and uh, the extent to which, you know, the company can in that respect in the process of decarbonization be a genuine force for good. Because if you are a company of the size of Dapswana, with the uh, size of procurement muscle, you can really move the industry. Uh, but also if you are Dubswana and the, the profitable company that it is, it can fund some of these initiatives, wherein other uh, companies in a different if you wish, life cycle from a project perspective may be handicapped. So I I do hope that, uh, you know, those uh, able to influence that direction of travel see this opportunity and capitalize on it. I wanted to come back to the notion of carbon offsets. Uh, You you were quite rightly quick to recognize that uh, in some cases, this, uh, you know, process has not always stood to scrutiny. That there has been some element of what uh, is referred to as greenwashing. First, I'd like you to just explain to the Sheila Extracted podcast listeners what greenwashing is, and then tell us what your thinking is, uh, not just in Botswana uh, but elsewhere. Uh, what the thinking is about uh, carbon offsets? Yeah, that that is
1: that is a very good question. I think there's there's a lot of debate about that. I mean carbon offsets is a way well there's different kinds of carbon offsets there there are but it's a way to as a company to contribute either the avoidance of emissions elsewhere or actually the removal from uh, co2 from the atmosphere by investing in specific projects um our focus as the beers is, is, is very much also because that, that that is that seems to be the international well, the most internationally and through international standards approved way is to really focus on projects that can actually remove carbon from the atmosphere. Mm. So you can say as a company we are emitting, I don't know, say an, a one ton of CO two, so we're going to plant an X amount of trees somewhere else. That will then remove the carbon from the atmosphere, that is the idea of offsetting in, in a very simplified way. Um, however, you really what you need to do when you do that is you need to really make sure that well those trees are really planted and are then taken care of because it will take. Quite a few years it's like like a little sampling of a tree is not going to absorb a lot of carbon out of the atmosphere. So you really make make need to make sure then that somebody's going to take care of those trees, that those trees are going to remain. Um, and that the people that plant those trees, for example, get properly compensated for for them. So what is important? And there's quite a few organizations out there that really make sure that when a company invests in a carbon project. Um, those projects are being certified and verified and exist. Um, there's the, the gold standard and the Vera, which are internationally recognized standards for carbon offsets. Um, that help. So if a company, if you invest, they basically certify that these are good projects. What we say as a company is like, okay, we can just you can go on the on the internet, and there's several registers for carbon offsets. But we do not want to, I don't know, plant trees in Costa Rica or something like that. If we invest in a carbon offset project, we want to do that in a way that 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 the project benefits the country or the communities where we operate. Um, One of the things We have done, for example, or we are doing is that we are investing in a startup company that is planting giant seaweed just off the coast of Namibia. Seaweed giant kelp has a very high capacity to absorb carbon, much more than a tree, Um, and that company is planning to built or plant the seaweed to, to help sequester carbon but also to harvest the seaweed and then create local industries in Luderitz, uh, a town in Namibia, to really to, to make biostimulants bio out of it. So to really create local factories, create local jobs and thereby benefiting the, the community and the country. Um, this is a project that is in very early stages. Um, we do not know where it's going to go and if it's actually going to get us a lot of carbon credits but we do think it makes sense to make those kind of investments to see, okay, yes, it's going to help us sequester carbon, but the co-benefits of enhancing the biodiversity in the ocean, creating jobs, etc., are almost as important as anything else. And I think that is is a crucial piece of carbon offsets. It shouldn't be something far away from us where we just throw money at a project uh, and thereby wipe our conscience clean. And that is what often happens. But really, we need to be involved and make sure that we know what's gonna happen and that that project actually actually delivers what it says it delivers.
0: Yeah, so, so it's more about direct impact, uh, not just uh, environmentally, but also in terms of, say, the socioeconomic benefits of those who are touched by uh, that environment. So, uh, I mean, that must take uh, then us back to those three principles, efficiency, Uh, innovation and uh, replacement, or even better, efficient, uh, innovate, replace. So this must mean that uh, this innovation is really not just about technological innovation. It's innovation also in the way that you approach these problems, innovation in the way that you restructure, the way you do things, the way you see the company's value and the way you see the company's relationship with the communities. I wonder whether uh, you could share uh, some of the innovations, either by the companies you are affiliated with or the industry at large, some of the innovations relating to the reduction of stages or, or uh, scopes uh, one and two emissions.
1: Yeah, I think, and I completely agree. I think, well, I think climate change, for one, it's it's the I think it's the challenge of our times and we we will not be able to address it unless we look at it in a very holistic way it's not yes it needs a lot of engineering but you can't engineer your way out of it you really need to look at it from a from a social from an environmental from a technical from an economical perspective and really try to connect all those dots and bring all those different parties together around the table to together find a solution um In terms of innovation, I mean, one of the the innovations that is is a part of the solution and that is something I think needs to expand further is, for example, the green hydrogen truck that Anglo-American launched uh, at their Mojalaquena platinum mine in May, um, which is the first hydrogen-fueled mining truck. and if that and and that is something if that if they manage to roll that out at a large scale if we manage to roll that out at a large scale and one of the things I'm I'm doing I'm here for in Botswana this week is also to look at okay what could we do at one of the, Botswana mines to see if we if that could be rolled out here as well, um, and the idea is I mean that they've one converted the traditional diesel fueled mining truck into a hydrogen battery fuel truck and but they're also producing the hydrogen on site they've produced the first electrolyzer in africa that does produce the on-site hydrogen from solar energy so i think that is something and at the moment it's a demonstration project right but the fact that people can can come there and take a look and learn how it works uh, and learn from the technology and we can look at rolling out that technology in other parts of africa i think It's just one example, and we need 50 more of these kind of innovations uh, to really transform the industry. But I think that is a really good and tangible uh, example of
0: innovation. Sure. So uh, I I suppose two things matter. One, scale matters, Uh, uh, corporate brand visibility matters. And so uh, and then, of course, financial muscles. So if you have a company like Anglo American uh, Corporation, with its uh, brand uh, and but also with uh, its scale, you can innovate and, and and therefore you can be a front runner. Uh, and, and and if you then have other subsidiaries like DBS, you know you also have that ecosystem in which your innovation can be scaled up. So, so there's a real advantage here, I think. Uh, for Anglo-American to, as you said, uh, influence the direction and speed of travel towards, uh, you know, decarbonizing mines. But I I have to ask you, I mean, what does it tell us about African companies and their potential uh, to contribute to this new way of doing things? Uh, it, here we have a fest in, in mining, here we have a fest in Africa in some areas. Uh, I think this, this speaks to something. I, I'm not sure what that is, and I wanted to get your sense of, as a person who has work, worked in different parts of the world, what does it tell us that something like this has come out of Africa and can, in fact, be transformative?
1: I think it's a very important signal. I think it, it is an inspiration, I think, and that is something I, especially during, during my work at the World Bank and on climate smart mining there as well, we, we try to, to flag sort of to the rest of the world, if you like, a lot of the minerals that are going to be needed for our renewable energy transition, for our fight against climate change, do come from Africa. So the solution, like the minerals are already there. And I think there is a massive opportunity for much more of this innovation also to come from Africa. And when I look at for the mo- at a moment, for example, what is happening in Namibia, where they are doing tremendous work on green hydrogen development, and there's real innovation happening, and same in South Africa, I think there is a real, real potential. I think it's also very much connected to the just transition, right? It's it's like. It's not just about how do we close coal mines in the most responsible sustainable way possible, but it's also really about what are those new. Job opportunities and what are the skills that are actually needed for the green transition and how can we pull people in and make sure that there is that drive for innovation and people have the opportunity and the skills to participate in that innovation. I don't think all the educational, the training is there yet and all the opportunities are there yet. Um, And I think also there, it's an area where mining companies operating on the continent have a role to play to really make sure we do contribute to the capacity building. But I think things like rolling out a green hydrogen truck program in a country like Botswana, making sure that the local like the local company has the lead in doing that and implementing that will have a massive impact on skills and will thereby lead to or i hope at least will thereby lead to further innovation i really hope that these kind of innovations can be a catalyzer uh, for further growth because there is so much potential here uh, because of all the renewable energy opportunities and and because of the a
0: lot of the, the energy is there. Hmm. So it's really just a question of uh, innovating and being able to uh, capture it, harness it, and use it incrementally to replace uh, fossil fuels. But you're right also, a lot still has to be done. Uh, it's not just about um, you know, using this experience to see if it can be scaled up. Uh, it's also making sure that all the component parts and the skills to not only uh, create these sources of energy, but also uh, the upkeep and the maintenance, you need to be sure that there are, throughout that supply chain of those kind of new equipment, you have somebody on watch and able to make sure that this new technology can deliver as reliably and as consistently as current energies because otherwise you destroy the economics of the mines and then you destroy the economies of those countries and the investments that have been made in uh, those uh, industries. Here is my last uh, question to you. So mining finds itself at a crossroads in that, on the one hand, mining like other industries is challenged uh, by uh, its footprint and the need to to pull back and uh, reduce carbon emissions. But at the same time, not just because of the minerals that mining can supply to facilitate transition, but because of the very innovations you've spoken about, actually mining is part of the solution uh, to decarbonization environmentally. So how do we reconcile, those of us who see mining as a force for good, how do we reconcile the fact that mining from a climate change and a carbon emission uh, perspective uh, is challenged with the fact that actually mining is also part of the decarbonization process. How strategically are you people in the mining industry now thinking about this?
1: I think there's a lot of thinking going into this. And I think... Mining, and, and, and that is a good thing, more than anything else, the mining industry is also very much driven by, by downstream, by, by car makers, battery makers. Uh, the jewellery sector, in my case, we're very much pushed by the people that use the mining product to clean a product as well. Because if many if people drive an electric vehicle, they want to feel they're doing something good, they don't want to think they have been they're contributing to, to polluting the earth when they've made the investment of buying an electric vehicle, right? So there's a lot of pressure from that side as well on the mining sector to get their act together. And I think that helps. Um, But it, yeah, I mean, it remains challenging, right? The mining sector has a long legacy, a long negative legacy that people keep seeing. I think the only thing we can do is really We'll keep pushing forward, sharing our stories stories with the world, showing what we're doing to make things cleaner. And so much has already been done, but so much still needs to be done. And really do that in partnership, to work with the communities where we operate, to work with the governments uh, where we operate, and to work with well, the people that provide our mining equipment, but also the people that buy our products and then process the products, etc. This is not a None of this can be done as, as as a one, one man or one company solution. This really needs to be approached, supply chain wide, sector wide, and on a global scale.
0: Fantastic. I think that's a that's a good note to end on, Kirsten. You are right. Just as uh, climate change, uh, and uh, the global warming is everyone's problem, so too. Of- must um, the solutions, they must involve everyone. It cannot be one industry or one person. Well, thank you very much once again for joining the Sheila Karma Extractive Podcast. Uh, it was wonderful speaking with you.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to speak to you.